Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Gen C. Generation Crypto. These are the people who are raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. On Gen C, we focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for this audience. I am Sam Yuen from Coindesk. Our co-host, as always, is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. Avery, how are you? I am doing great. Excited for another episode of Gen C. We are back from the holiday break and we have such an incredible slate of guests for the first part of this year. I'm so stoked for it and I'm really, really, really looking forward to today's show. Absolutely. Before we get to today's guest, let's just sort of do a quick little wrap up of what's happening out in the crypto world as it relates to brands. Avery, I am out here in Las Vegas, my first trip of the year for CES. I'm sad you're not here but I also understand that Miami was calling. I'm really interested to see how much Web3 is going to be sort of in the conversation at CES. We saw it a lot at our Basel. We talked about that last month. We certainly see it a lot at places like South by Southwest. This is the first time in a couple of years that I think it may show up at CES. Do you have any clients out here? Anything you're hearing? Anything you're interested about? Yeah. It was a tough decision to sit out CES this year because I think there's going to be a lot of conversations about Web3, particularly Metaverse. I've been invited to a couple of different things and heard from a couple of my you know, friends and different partners and ecosystems. There's going to be a lot in the world of Metaverse, a lot in AR, VR, how brands can build interesting new things. CES is you know, ultimately a technology show. So I think there will be a lot of more sort of hardware-related metaverse experiences. That would be my take. I'm sure there'll be some stuff about the crypto ecosystem, some stuff around DeFi, some stuff around NFTs. But my bet would be the majority of the attention on Web3 will really be in that kind of metaverse pillar. I think they've got a couple uh, speakers covering off on different things. I know you all are doing a Web3 studio talk there. And yes, I do have quite a few of our client partners at Vayner who are checking out different things this year. Got a couple of folks on the ground from our team at Vayner as well, checking out the latest and greatest. CES has always been a hardware show, right? And I think that's the thing that's interesting. You know, you come here five years ago and all you would see was, you know, aisles upon aisles of headphones and like new ways to power your computer or your phone or like iPhone protective cases or the newest monitors or that kind of stuff. 
I'm sort of really interesting. Are we going to see an entire like area dedicated to crypto mining of different coins? Are we going to see, you know, NFT frames, things that kind of power the Web3 industry? That's what I'm going to be looking at. Coindesk is running a bunch of conversations on the main stage, as well as we have our Web3 studio. So hopefully we'll be showing more of that stuff on Coindesk.com starting next week. But it's going to be really interesting to see what's going on as sort of CES becomes more Web3 friendly. So the next thing up, I don't know about you. I found at the end of the year, everyone was dropping open editions. And so first, why don't you tell everyone here what an open edition is? and then why people are interested in them. It is definitely open edition season. And open edition is an NFT mint that doesn't have a fixed supply. There might be particular hours or days that it's open. A creator or a brand or an organization might do an open edition mint for something very short. Maybe it's something like Xcopy. I think he did just a couple of minutes on Nifty Gateway. That was like six months ago. We also have seen brands do open edition mints that go on for weeks. Our partners at Pepsi just did one for New Year's. It was an open edition mint over a course of a couple of weeks. We have seen this really take off in popularity in the last couple of months for a couple of reasons. First, I think open edition provides a much more accessible entry point, whether that's free or much lower cost. Open edition NFTs tend to be less about speculation and less about you know scarcity and more about collecting something. You know, we've seen brands like Time do open editions for key moments, whether that's the Micah Johnson into the metaverse cover or others that they've done that sort of tap into that idea of collecting a moment, like a digital stamp. I was there, less so around a rare piece of art. So, from a creator perspective, I think open editions create a way for a broader group of collectors to participate and to own a piece of that artist's work. From a brand perspective, I'm absolutely obsessed with open editions because I think the vast majority of brands should be looking at NFTs and their Web3 strategies as a way to connect with consumers and build communities. And unless you're a luxury brand, I think that you know doing auctions or scarcity-focused drops can really be a challenge. If you're a luxury brand, it's expected. If you're Tiffany's and you're doing 250, you're doing that because you want to, you know, really bring in that level of luxury and scarcity. But if you are, you know, a cracker brand or you are a media brand and you're really looking at a way to create a deeper connection with consumers, the more the merrier from a participation standpoint. So I think we have kind of two schools of thought on open editions. The sort of normal consumers, it's you know, they don't think anything of it. The NFT dabblers think it's an interesting way to participate. But the NFT purists or big collectors often are not as much fans of open edition because there's far less sort of trading activity often on those collections. But Sam, you span the gauntlet. What's your take on open editions? I think it's super fascinating for two reasons. I think one, for the creators and the artists, it is a really easy and accessible way for someone to get something interesting into their wallet that they might want to look at. And if they can do so at a low fee, no fee, then it starts to get you interested in their work in general. And so therefore, maybe you get an open edition, maybe by having the open edition that gets you on an allow list to mint their next piece at a bit of a higher price. And so therefore, you can sort of be part of their world that way in a really easy way. I will also say, I think we saw a lot of open editions in this last couple of weeks because of OpenSea's change in legacy contracts on royalties. So, for example, I minted one purely to have a contract that was part of the legacy group so that in the future, if I want to do something, I have an existing exempted, like grandfathered in contract 
that allows me to mint with the royalties built in. So that was one reason I think a lot of creators got in. But the second thing, and I think this goes to the world you and I spend a lot of time in, is when you think of a classic marketing funnel, the idea of what's the easiest, lowest barrier access, right? If I can get a couple of thousand people to mint something for free, that really just says, are you willing to learn enough to basically paste this into your wallet browser or into your regular browser and connect your MetaMask and get the thing and maybe you pay $3 in gas in order to collect that, then I've now said maybe that piece gets you into the Discord. And then you start to see, oh, here's this other part of the Discord I can't see because I don't have this other thing. Maybe I want to know what's going on there. So then maybe I sort of start to buy up, right? And we all know the marketing funnel is about the biggest and widest groups that slowly go into kind of who's spending more time, who's spending more money, who's spending more attention, who's sharing out more, until you get to the inner circle. And so from a pure marketing funnel strategy, I think an open ambition is the easiest way for a brand that is committed to thinking about that. And I'm really excited about our guest coming up because I think this is where his lane is, but that it's such a great way of like opening the gates to someone to get them in through the door and then let them start to choose how they want to play next. All right. So now that we've talked about open editions, I think there was an interesting thing that happened towards the end of the year. And I just want to get your thoughts on this. We saw a really major NFT collection that was designed on Solana announced that they were moving from Solana to Ethereum. It was a project called D-Gods. I don't think D-Gods is, you know, it's a very inside NFT conversation. So it's not as much of a brand play. But the thing that was just interesting was them going from one major chain, a layer one chain, to another major layer one chain. And the thing that it sort of made me feel, and I wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on, is if I was a brand building today, is there any reason really not to be on Ethereum and really Ethereum Polygon? Because it seems like that's where all the energy is right now. How would you advise your clients right now to think about chains? Well, DGODS is a very interesting project. Frank, who's the leader of the project, has had a number of like major announcements, everything from moving to zero royalties to you know being very bullish on Solana to now announcing the move over to an EBM compatible chain. I believe it's Polygon. So the never dull moment with the DGODS crew. My perspective is at this current moment with the information we have in front of us, EBM compatible chains are the place where it makes sense for most brands to be investing their time and their resources. I won't say all because there's always edge cases. There's always, you know, unique situations. We recently did a project on flow because of an existing partnership. And, you know, that was an interesting one for us to explore. There might be times to explore leveraging a chain like Solana, but I'll say over the, you know, maybe almost a hundred different NFT programs we've done over the past year and a half, 98 of them have been on EBM compatible chains. So whether that's Ethereum, Mainnet or Polygon or some of the other ones that exist, we are very leaned into the sort of Ethereum compatible ecosystem. I will also say though, that I think in the future, there'll be a lot of bridging. You know, I think what DGODS means is I don't know that they're actually planning to bridge it. I think that they are planning to make a full transition over to Ethereum. But in the future, I think there will be a lot of this sort of cross-chain compatible. I believe that the future of NFTs is going to be cross-chain. It's going to be multi-chain and it won't only be one. But the kind of interesting learning that I think we can probably get out of this DGOG situation is you don't actually have to be married to one chain forever. You can make a change. At Vayner 3, we're very bullish on the EDM compatible ecosystem. but there are always opportunities for us to be exploring new things. Amazing. And with that, let's get to our guest. So I'm very excited about our guest today, Spencer Gordon. Spencer is the Group VP of Connections at Anheuser-Busch. Spencer is someone who I have been sort of talking about this ecosystem, who Avery has been working with in this ecosystem for, you know, going on about a year and a half. 
and is just so smart in how he is leveraging Web3 across the Anheuser-Busch portfolio. And, you know, when you think of Anheuser-Busch as a company that has such legacy brands that people absolutely love, right, whether it's Stella Artois, whether it's Bud Light, whether it's Budweiser and so many others, you got to actually be cautious about how you show up in the space because you have so many millions of fans and customers who could get really pissed off if you don't do it correctly. And AB has been one that has done it really, really well. So I'm really just excited to hear both his story and what the last year, year and a half has looked like for Anheuser-Busch in the Web3 space. And we will get to that after the break. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. All right, so we are here with our guest, Spencer Gordon. Love Spencer. Spencer is the Group VP of Connections at Anheuser-Busch. Spencer, what is a Group VP of Connections, first of all? Amazing. Connections is basically our media, digital, experiential, entertainment, and draft line, our in-house creative agency at Anheuser-Busch. So it's everything that kind of relates to our partnerships and our marketing investments. Also, Sam, Avery, thank you for having me today. I'm very excited for the session together. Spencer, no lie, when we were first coming up with guests, you were at the very, very top of the list. So we're so honored that you're taking the time to be here and to hang out. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, and how you got to be the Group VP of Connections at Anheuser-Busch? I know you've had a long career at AB and done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started with Anheuser-Busch in 2012 as an intern, and I've been with the company kind of ever since. So I've hopped around a variety of different roles and functions within the company. I lived in Chicago, St. Louis, and New York, where I currently reside today. And basically, I kind of worked my way from the bottom up to this role. I spent a lot of time in digital marketing, in media, brand management, internal consulting, and resource allocation. And then ultimately, about five years ago, I moved over to lead our digital marketing team. I created Draftline, which is our internal creative agency. Within Draftline, we kind of introduced a lot of new capabilities to the company. So that included you know, influencer man- management, programmatic media, data acquisitions and loyalty programs, content creation, production. And basically from there, was able to kind of elevate myself from a senior director to a VP within the team. And about nine months ago, took over what is called the Connections Group, right? And merged Draftline within that group. A key part of kind of my role over the last few years has been, how do we lead digital innovation? How do we connect with consumers in a more meaningful way? And so a lot of the capabilities that we've introduced over the last few years have directly related to some trends that we've seen in the industry. And most notably, what I'm very excited about and why we're here today is talk about Web3, right? So I think from my perspective, Web3 represents a lot of the future of where I think loyalty and consumer connections are going. And it's something that I think we've been very bullish on from the quote start, right, of brands really diving into the space. Let's like pick that apart, Spencer. What was that moment that started you like you down the Web3 journey? And what was interesting about it to you, more so from how you could apply it to your business case, although I also want to hear kind of personally what you're involved in this. Yeah, maybe I'll start with the personal, Sam. I think it might help a little bit in that front, but I'm a big sports fan. And, you know, I think peak COVID, seeing the NBA Top Shot take off, my friends talking about it, almost like the fantasy collectible nature of it tied into a passion of mine. 
was how I ultimately got introduced to it. It was kind of like, for me, the Trojan horse of NFTs. I think a lot of people, you know, have the same type of journey. That was kind of what kicked it off, what got it interesting. And then you quickly start reading about the sales and the collectibles and some of the headlines. And I think from that moment on, it sparked some interest for me, for a few others, including some of our most senior leadership at Anheuser-Busch, when you start to see people get involved and kind of the headlines that come through. And I think we were kind of quick to identify then, okay, there's a lot of people who are passionate about it. There's a lot of headlines and things that are generating, you know, talk, conversation, PR. This is actually a business opportunity. Like forget the PR, forget the individuals. Look what this did for the MBA in this space. Like it's a brand, right? It's an entertainment vehicle. They are able to capitalize and have this fan engagement and this community building. How do we kind of do the same things? And we started looking into, you know, we have some of the world's most iconic brands, like billion dollar brands, brands that have been around Budweiser, for example, since 1876, international brands, things that people really care about. Beer is like meaningful and near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. And I think we thought, you know, this is a great way for us to kind of connect in a new way. And ultimately, when you think of what Web3 and what NFTs can do, it's actually a differentiator for us in our environment here in the U.S. in the beer industry. So if you're not familiar with the beer industry, we work through a three-tier system where we sell to wholesalers who sell to retailers who sell to consumers. Therefore, it's very difficult to have a meaningful two-way dialogue and relationship with that ultimate end consumer. And now we have a way to monetize and to have digital relationship with a lot of different people to have a two-way dialogue. And that was kind of like the unlock for us is now you're able to attach something to a lot of the different assets, properties, you know, quote, the utility that we can offer and bring to people in a new way because this technology exists. And so for me, then the journey began really the summer of 2021, I would say, where we started looking into, okay, now that we know we can get in this space, there was a ton of logistical hurdles for us to bring this to life. So when you think about, you know, a beer industry company that's been around for a long time with international capabilities, teams, different brands, different countries, regulations, it's kind of like a vice category. It's heavily regulated. We had to be super careful. We had to convince a lot of internal stakeholders to kind of bring this to life across legal procurement, finance, within legal compliance and treasury. And, you know, there's data components that we had to think through, then brand teams and a lot of different facets. I worked to kind of lead a cross-functional task force to bring these people together and show them the business opportunity for us, right? How we can build brands, how we can have a direct relationship with consumers, how we can build community for the team. And then ultimately, we decided to launch with Budweiser. We said, you know what? This is the most iconic brand. It's an international brand. The beauty of cryptocurrency is it's international. You can transact in Ether in US or England or China or a lot of different places. And same thing with you know Bitcoin and Polygon. So we started looking into, okay, Let's use one of our most iconic brands. Before we ventured into this space, we thought about, you know, a lot of people in this space, just the decentralized nature of cryptocurrency, they don't love institutions and we're a major institution. So if we're going to join in, how do we make sure that we add value? How are we authentic in the space? How do we enter in a way where people are like, wow, that's awesome that Budweiser did it. Yeah, they know what they're doing. It's an interesting project. We should get involved with that. And I think that was the journey that we really faced on. And Avery and her team were a massive help in this, like being experts in the space, knowing what's going on, teaching us internally what to think about, what to look for, what to do, who to partner with. And then I think from there, it became, let's make relationships. Let's do things the right way. Let's see what's working and not working. And then ultimately test and learn and kind of see what comes to life from there. Amazing. So Spencer, it's been about 13 months since the Budverse NFT program launched. But as you just alluded to, Actually, the journey started a few months in advance of that with the iconic purchase of Beer.eth, the Tom Satz rocket, 
changing the Budweiser profile to that. Can you take us through some of the lessons that you've learned as a brand leader and marketer as sort of part of that journey in the last you know year and a half? Absolutely. I think um, the first learning was something I think we actually knew in advance of launching, which you just referenced, which is like, how do we come into the space the right way? And I think from that perspective, every step you just named along that way, beer.eth, right, establishing kind of our Discord channel, partnering with key influencers in the space that said, hey, like Budweiser's there, they know what they're doing, hosting some of them at our experiential events and at our brewery, I think helped us build clout and credibility that then when we introduced the program, the first one, it was kind of like, listen, if you're a brand, what can you offer to the world that no one else can offer? How do you be yourself? The second thing I think is do it in an authentic way. You know, we're not Ferrari, right? We are a beer. We're something that everyone can hold, everyone can have. We want to have things that are accessible for other people. You know, we've seen a lot of these amazing drops that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the end, and we didn't want to be that. That's not what we are. We also thought about what is a way, you know, with an emerging space, how do we map kind of like the metaverse or the NFT landscape or all the partnerships? Because we have a lot of different brands. They stand for a lot of different things. We want our brands to be reflected in the digital world the same way that they were reflected in the physical world, because we see consumers evolving into the space, more and more coming in. We want to evolve with them and we want to be there to receive a lot of people as they come into the space. So I think for me, it took a lot of careful study to decide like what's the area we want to delve into, right? So be authentic to yourself, really pick the right battles in the right areas for it. And I think then the last learning for me, which I think is really, really important is it's about quality over quantity, right? If you do something really, really well, then you can always reflect and iterate and go from there. But you have to start small. You have to start with the concentrated group really learn from them, and then ultimately evolve from there. And I think then the last key point for me is then once you have these learnings and these, it's just no, it's a community that you're building forever, right? It's not a one and done. It's not a flash in the pan. How are you actually mapping out the expectations, the roadmap, the benefits so that you can keep giving to the community over and over and fostering that over time? What I love about our brands is they've been around for dozens or even hundreds of years we want our digital programs to live on for the same amount of time, right? So I think for me that those learnings accumulate, but definitely tread carefully into the space because you're going to be there for a while once you do it. Hearing you talk about it is really interesting because I think you bring up the point that a lot of people who jump into the space don't recognize, which is the minute you've minted that item on chain, unless Ethereum goes away, which does not look like it's happening, it's just always there, right? So you have thousands of, you know, the Bud NFTs out in the world, if you guys decide six months from now, oh, we're done with the project, then you frankly have a lot of assets out there that people are going to be like, remember when they didn't deliver, right? So I think to your point, you know, thinking through it through the, the lens of longevity, which you guys uniquely are good at doing that work, probably enables you to have a broader view of how to think of that loyalty opportunity and membership. And I guess just, you know, we'll love to sort of dive in a little deeper of how do you convince your stakeholders who may have been fine with we're going to run a six month Snapchat campaign, but then we can get out. To like convince them, okay, by the way, guys, this is here forever. Like, what was that process like? It started, I think a lot of people were nervous about it because to your point, you know, you can have an issue and then it lingers on forever. And I think it actually helped us really pressure test a lot of our infrastructure, right? The tech, the partners that we worked with, the safety checks that we put in place, the compliance issues that we had to work around to help us make sure that what we were designing was something that was strong and could withstand an issue, right? I think then the second thing, is unlike a traditional creative campaign, it became about how do we build off the brand's legacies and off the things that are going to be around for the long term? Like, 
for example, we started with our Budweiser Heritage Collection, which was actually using images and pictures and visuals from the brand's identity from basically the start. So from that perspective, we're reinventing the past. So in that way, it can kind of translate and carry through the future because we're really proud of the past and the brand that we have today. And then I think the last component of it is setting very clear expectations. So listen, the collectible can live forever, but the utility can morph based on how we write the underlying kind of rules, terms and conditions, how we make sure that we have the right brand protections in place and how we talk about it with consumers, right? So we establish a roadmap. We talk about exactly what you're going to get when you buy an NFT, what it means if you buy it on the secondary market versus if you buy directly from us, right? How you actually can token gate and give experiences to different people. So I think from that perspective, it's just sort of about radical transparency, right? When you think about Web3 and cryptocurrency and a lot of the things that are here, you know, there's moments where it can be very scary. And I think there are moments where you can be very direct and deliberate. You can look on chain, you can see kind of in the smart contracts what you're going to get. You can see the terms and conditions that are here. So I think we've been trying to be very deliberate and methodical about the way that we kind of set expectations with consumers. So one of the places where you're setting these expectations is Discord. Both Bud and Bud Light have really thriving Discord communities where there's things like contests, games, like ticket giveaways, a lot of engagement there. How has Discord and sort of like community building in general played into your Web3 strategy, both what you guys have done to date and then what you see as the opportunity in the future? It's a great question. I think we've kind of evolved where Web3 is the infrastructure, the enabler to helping us build community. It's like one of those things where a lot of people move into the space. And for us, the space, as I mentioned kind of a little bit earlier, is a way to have that two-way dialogue. And Discord is an amazing place because you can host an AMA, you can have private chats for people, you can DM consumers, you can have a phone call, you can have group chats. There's a lot of different elements that can kind of go into it that we're really excited about. I think um, what's unique about this is you actually have proof of someone either buying in or claiming or redeeming something that can then join the community. I think for us, that's something that we're looking to scale and bring more people into. I think one of the limitations we see in Web3 is the barriers to entry are pretty high for a lot of people. You have to go and set up a wallet and buy a cryptocurrency and then know how to mint and claim and then refresh the metadata and make sure it shows up on the right page. And there's a lot of issues that come with it. Discord is not like that. Discord is like signing up for a Slack channel, a Facebook page. It's a little bit more complicated. And I think it's going to get simpler over time as more and more people join, as more and more Web2 folks come into Web3. And therefore, it's a very good place to have constant iteration, explain things, answer questions, give the transparency, and ultimately from there, build community. Because now that they are in Web3 and they are coming into our programs, we can actually reward them. We can actually identify who's a holder, who's not a holder, who's been to an event, who hasn't been to an event, who's participated in one of our Q&As and who hasn't. And I think the functionality is what we're really excited about. Because all of a sudden, you have that unique identifier and a place where you can actually have that two-way dialogue. So I think from that perspective, that's really where we're leaning into, I think, as we evolve, especially with the current environment. Yeah, things are going to come and go. Prices are going to go up and down, right? The number of people who are buying and trading or holding NFTs might change. But what's not going to change is people like talking to other people. There's more and more passion points, more and more niche communities that have to exist. Our brands need to make sure that we're offering the value to them and that we're learning from them that we can understand and ask, what do you like? What do you not like? How do we evolve? What should we consider doing? And I think that's how we're kind of orienting ourselves for the future. One of the things that I think is fascinating, and I was looking at the Heritage Can collection, 
there's been, I think, over 2 million in secondary sales. You know, I know you guys get, I think you took a 0% creator royalty on that. So you're really like giving the opportunity to the collectors, which I think is pretty fascinating, right? And so you have a, this rabbit collector base who all do these things. They love sports, they love beer, they love to travel, they do all that stuff. Then you guys, because you're Budweiser and your subsequent brands, you have a million places you pop up digitally and physically. And so I would love to like think about, as we go into 2023, how are you looking at the idea of what token getting experience is and the ability to sort of tier that for newer and newer audiences, as well as those who may have been in the beginning? Like, is there a way that you're kind of creating a funnel strategy, if you will, through your Web3 ecosystem? Yeah, it's a really good question, Sam. This is something I think we're also testing and learning and iterating. But what I would tell you, I think Bud Light's actually a really, really good example of a brand that we're using and how we've kind of changed the environment, but how we've kind of included holders and tried to bring more people in. Bud Light is the official sponsor of the NFL. We actually started our Web3 journey last year in Super Bowl by having the first ever NFT in a Super Bowl commercial, which is like a really cool experience and kind of kicking off around NFL. And then basically over the course of the year, inviting people into a pick'em game where you buy an NFT, or if you're a holder of one of our earlier drops, you get the NFT for free that you can claim. And then basically every single week you make a pick. And over the course of the season, as you make your pick, you're able to kind of redeem for a certain prizing if you are able to advance and go into it. And for me, what's really cool about this is we're leveraging kind of our NFL relationship, the partnerships, the platforms and things that we have with utility and access that you cannot get like as an average consumer, right? So from this perspective, we invited our holders to do it. We also talked about it on our social media channels as Bud Light because we're promoting the Bud Light NFL cans and creative and partnership. All the teams posted about it. The players that we have are talking about it. Our Discord channel is firing in all cylinders about NFL content and creative and what's going on and trades that are happening in the industry and fantasy and all these different things that are there. And then you see the community start to participate. And as they pick and as they go on, they're rooting for one another. They're competing against one another. They're buying cans from people who have streaks that are going. And ultimately, they're redeeming for utility that you can't get in real life. For example, we have a lot of our players drop into our Discord channel to talk to the fan base right? You can actually go to do private stadium tours with the teams that we go and sponsor. We gave tickets and on-field access to some of the people that are holders within it. People were able to get NFL all-day passes. They were able to get jerseys and merchandise from Bud Light and other things that come through. And all of a sudden now, people are really gung-ho. And we've actually just brought our entire community to support the Passion Point and the brand platform, which is the NFL, right? And we have multi-year agreements with the NFL. We sponsor a ton of the teams. And all of a sudden, it's a good way to connect the dots. So in this way, what started as lower funnel, where you're, you're getting Web3 people who are really interested in a certain community, became kind of upper funnel because we're connecting it to our commercials and into our social media content, into our programming. So it's all the way through the line. And I think what we're seeing is that it's difficult to get people into a Web3 environment, right? The barriers to enter are high. It's easy to get people into something that has millions of viewers like the NFL. How do we find the right balance of scale versus intimacy and having the ability for people to kind of enjoy the program and be there? And that to me is the Discord channel. That is the area for us where you can kind of balance. It's an easier barrier to entry than Web3. It's also a harder barrier to entry with more intimacy and two-way dialogue than maybe what you would see on Facebook or in a TV commercial. So I think for us, it's towing that line. And then the question of how we do that brand by brand goes back to what does a brand stand for? right? What are the passion points that we can deliver the right utility, the right access for? How do we make sure that 
people know the brand and expect us to show up in that space. We don't want to do something completely novel, completely new, because we want to make sure that they're familiar, they're joining for a very specific reason. So I think we're still learning, but I think it's been a really cool way that we've adapted and brought some of our main programs to life. Yeah. And Spencer, the pickup game you're talking about is on Flow, right? How did you choose to go with Dapper Labs and Flow versus going with an Ethereum-based solution, which I believe you guys had done for some of the previous drops? Yeah, absolutely. We started with Ethereum because it was where most of the action was happening. When I think you saw brands and individuals coming into the space, it's where CryptoPunks happened. It's where you know you see a lot of the different big projects that were coming to life from like an open sea perspective. I think ultimately, though, when we were looking in the partnerships, right, who was the NFL working with? Because they're a partner of ours and they signed a deal with Dapper Labs to help them work on their NFL all day pass. We wanted to have parallels where we could cross pollinate both communities, right? So you have benefits within the Bud Light community, within the NFL community and vice versa. We also looked at how do we make it a little bit easier for people to join? So Ethereum, I think, was amazing. I think prices of Ethereum were going up. A lot of people were coming into the space. People were willing to buy and test and learn. But then ultimately, we wanted something where you could sign up with a credit card and an email address. Because at the end of the day, it lowered the barriers to entry significantly, and it brought a lot more people into the space. So I think for me, you know, when you think about our brands, they're multi-billion dollar brands. They touch tens of millions of people across the world. You know, our Web3 community wasn't there yet. It's something that you know we're talking to tens of thousands of people as opposed to tens of millions of people. And we feel like as the space grows, which we are bullish on, we think it will continue to grow over time. We want to be there to welcome more people coming into the space. And we thought that Flow was a better kind of transition for the Web 2.0 consumers to meet the Web 3 community. And so I think from that perspective, we really like that. I think it's something we're, we're also testing and learning different chains, different possibilities to based on the partner, based on the brand, based on the maturity. But we love the program. We're, it's something we're definitely going to continue into the future. What I think the lesson I'm taking from that, which I think is a great lesson for our listeners, is Web3 isn't a single tool set, right? There is no one stack that you need to be thinking about, that there are opportunities for you to think of what Ethereum could do, what Polygon could do, what a Tezos could do, what a Flow can do. And then there are opportunities to build across those, but still have one cohesive strategy for how you're engaging. The other thing, which I think is to me the biggest lesson here, and it reminds me a little bit, Avery and I had a conversation with Matt Kalish from DraftKings, I think was one of our first guests. And you know, when you think of sports, you think of kind of beer and that sports culture, it's really native, but it also isn't one where you have to like nudge people too far to get them into what, what, why Web3 matters. The fact that you said, oh, I can hold an NFT and maybe that gets me an opportunity to do a, you know, on the field visit is so cool if you're a sports fan, right? And that just feels like a really native opportunity. And you can think of the micro versions of that and the macro versions of that. But it's also something that you know the fans already want versus trying to create new and different behaviors that I think make people feel a little less comfortable. And then like, oh, I have to do all this work. You're like, no, like, why wouldn't I do this? Because I get access to these player chats or whatever it may be. So I think that to me, that's just like a really inspiring way to think about this and just shows the thoughtfulness that you and like props, obviously, to like Avery and the Vayner team have helped think through this strategy. So I just want to like say that that's really impressive in thinking about that. And it is the takeaway that I think a lot of people have to think through. I appreciate you saying that for sure. I think it's been an interesting journey, a lot of learnings, a lot of things that we can do. But it goes back to the key point of what does your brand stand for? Are you authentic to yourself? And I think what's the role that you can play for consumers? So like for us, we're a fan of the fans. People are not consuming Bud Light on the field. They shouldn't be. They're playing the sport that they're going and doing. 
but the fans are holding those beers for those meaningful moments and we want to be there with them. Right. And it's a great way to kind of accompany that. So I totally agree. So Spencer, I also love how, you know, we've been discussing this idea of community built brands and also creating an area for Bud Light fans to chat with one another, to compete with one another, to talk about games. What do you think is going to be the future of sort of community built brands? Do you see this as a lean when, where many fortune 500s will be playing, especially in an era where like CAC costs are going up? There's a lot of like sort of pushback against the duopoly. Do you see this as something that other brands are going to dabble into as well? I think the answer is yes. But the question is when and how long will it take for a lot of brands to be there? What I think you're seeing today is brands that are really strong brands that are iconic to stand the test of time. They're entering the space and they're having success there. Right. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of new brands that are created that are Web3 native, right, that may or may not be working well because of the volatile environment around them. I think it's the responsibility of brands like ours to help build the infrastructure the right way, to help bring credibility and stability to something that is unknown, is not there, and also to be a first mover and innovator within our own industries. I think what you're seeing from Starbucks and Amazon and Nike and Adidas and Anheuser-Busch is bringing our brands in the best way and being a first mover because we can and because we have a lot of access that can add to the community. I think over time, more and more people will delve into it. And it's going to be less and less visible Web3 and more and more infrastructure of Web3. And I think to me, that's the key component is you're not going to know as a consumer that you have an NFT. You're going to have an email address. And that email address is your unique identifier with a token or some type of build behind it that is unlocking and giving you access. So if you're a really big fan of you know XYZ brand and you go to their website, you automatically get the benefits of becoming a club member, becoming part of the community, et cetera. So I think that is definitely on the way. That's definitely going to happen. I think the environment is a little bit clunky today, and that will get smoothed out as more and more big brands come in and demand kind of Web2 user interface and infrastructure to accompany kind of the Web3 technology, decentralization, visibility, and transparency that come with it. So I think it's going to start with a couple of the bigger players. It will evolve, and then more and more people are going to come in, but it's not going to come in in the same form. But, you know, I can't predict the future. So I'm just going to try and iterate and learn as we go to, on the way to getting there. We love that. I want to ask this question, which is more, you know, the gaming industry has seen some backlash when they were introducing Web3. And I think part of their worry was, how is this going to make everything more expensive? How is it going to make it even more exclusive? I'm wondering, because you guys were early entrants, but also you have a really passionate and very large, like, fan base of your brand. Did you see any of that same backlash when you were launching your Web3 product? Luckily, I don't think we did. But I think that's because before we did anything, we made sure to kind of understand and study the space. And we took a series of kind of methodical and strategic steps to help us get to that type of program and get to that type of launch. The first thing we looked at is like, what are consumers doing? They're buying ENS domains. We should do that. So we bought beer.eth. We talked about what projects are people talking about that are doing really well, that are creator-led, that are building the community, that are giving back. We saw Tom Sachs Rocket. They use Budweiser Creative. We invited them to our brewery to launch one of their rocket launches. We made it our PFP. Now all the people are saying, wait, Budweiser, this brand that's been around since 1876 and one of the most iconic American brands in existence, they're starting to like test and learn and innovate. They know what they're doing. This is interesting. We should evolve and see it, right? Then by the time we're doing our drop, I don't think we face backlash because I think people kind of we're expecting it, seeing what we were bringing to life. And we were very deliberate, but here are the expectations. Here's what you get if you're a holder. And we delivered on that. 
So I think for me, you know, we have to set expectations and deliver against those expectations. And I think that's been one of the cooler things to see is once you do that, you start to build not just community members, but advocates, people that are like, man, Budweiser's doing it well. This is a great community, right? They are giving back to the people who are bought in. They are rewarding the members that are here. They're taking and listening to the feedback that we talk about in here and then iterating from there. So I think from that perspective, we did a very good job from the upfront. What I would tell you, though, is we've had mishaps along the way. Like, I'm not going to deny it's a people are demanding as they should be, right? I'm a fan of a lot of other brands and I'm also demanding. So I think for me, I'm not going to pretend that we did everything right from day one. We didn't. But the one thing we did right is we have an ongoing dialogue and we're listening and we're iterating and we're reacting to where we think the industry is going, what we think is the best consumer experience, and also how we can make sure that we take care of the people that know and love our brand so dearly. And I think for me, that's the journey that I'm most committed to is, okay, to have a community means you need to be a member of the community. And I'm, people don't know it, right? But I'm in the Discord all day. I'm reading their content. I'm talking with them. I'm liking their posts. I'm getting to know them and their digital selves. And then we're also having experiences where we're getting to know them in person, which has been really cool to get to know the people that support the brand. So I think for me, it's an ongoing conversation. And I think with gamers specifically, Listen, gamers have really strong communities. That's one of the best things about gaming is you can get into something, you can play with people you've never met before that are on a microphone in a different area. You can watch them on Twitch. You can chat with them on Discord. I think there's a sensitivity to other communities coming in. But when you can really be yourself, add value to either community, both gaming or to NFTs or Web3, there's room for both. And I think that's what we kind of have to keep discovering and pushing for. So Spencer, kind of summing up, you're talking a lot about community building. You're talking a lot about consistency. You're talking a lot about testing and learning and also being like very hands-on with building these communities. You know, I've seen just posts, everything from on like crypto Twitter to LinkedIn, in the Discord all the time, people calling out like cool stuff that you all have done. Sometimes it's big moves, like, you know, putting the NFT in the Super Bowl. And sometimes it's small things. Like I actually saw Ad Age recently featured Bud Light as one of like the top NFT brands of the year because the Bud Light now has been very active in Nounsdow proposals, all fueled by community votes, which I think is a really cool thing. And is a really cool takeaway for marketers who are listening to this is it's not one major move. It's a million little moves that are aligned to a core strategy and continuing to be there and navigate this new world. I totally agree. I think it's like everything in life where it's a lot of little decisions that add up to the person or the brand or the platform that it is today. So for me, if we did it once, people are like, oh, they did it once, and then they forgot about it. If we keep doing it and we keep showing we're dedicated, people are also more forgiving when you make a mistake or something doesn't go 100% well. They know we're going to keep trying. They know we're going to keep pushing. They know we're going to keep iterating. And for me, what I love about Bud Light and what I love about the partnership that we did with the Nouns team is that you know Nouns are expensive. They're not a cheap NFT. It's a really cool DAO. It's very exclusive. But because Bud Light was able to get into the community and we have a large community, we're democratizing it and making something more accessible. And I think that's very similar to what we're doing with the NFL, where you can do things as an everyday fan that you would never be able to do on your own, right? To meet the players, to go on the field, to have exclusive content. And I think for me, that's what we're dedicated to doing. Because beer, like again, we're a fan of the fans. Beer is about bringing people together. And I like to think of it as like the original social network. So how do we then provide that same kind of access, the same conversation, the same ability, the same emotional moments together? And to me, that's, again, a key pillar I think we can add that's unique to us. Spencer, I know we're going to let you go. You've been really generous with your time. So first of all, thank you so much for that. My final question to you is, 
what are the NFT communities and projects that you are tracking and that you're involved with, you know, that you spend your time outside of your regular job doing? It's a great question, Sam. I've been tracking a lot, you know, over the last few years. I think it's really interesting how the NBA Top Shot is evolving, where they're starting to give tickets and experiences to the holders, which I think is a great iteration, great way to learn from the fan base. I've always been a really big fan of Adam Bomb Squad. I think it's one of the good examples of a really cool brand that has now encompassed Web3 and has given utility and community and really fun Discord channel and place to be. My original love is the Bud Heritage community, right? Because I've obviously been a key part of it. But I also think Budweiser is a brand that is going to be around forever. Like if there's collector's value things, like that is one that, you know, it's been around since 1876. So those three for me are the ones that I'm really like appreciative of. The first one for me to join, the first one that I was a part of when we did a drop and designed the community and the access that came with it. And the first one that I was able to kind of really feel a different community come to life and to build on the utility, right? The shirts, the customizations, the events that they were able to bring together. So those three stick out to me. Amazing. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for spending your time with us, dropping all this knowledge. It was fascinating to hear both your journey as well as what Budweiser is doing. We will all be tracking it. Thank you so much for joining us, Spencer, dropping some gems. Always great to hear your perspective on how Web3 is useful to brands. Is I love the point around the infrastructure layer and like the real reason sort of bringing communities together and how that links to your core business and beer. Thank you both for hosting me. It's been awesome. And I'm looking forward to listening to some of your other guests in the near future. Keep it up. Avery, that was such a fantastic conversation with Spencer. I think I actually first met him through either you or Andrew, our mutual friend. And from the minute I met Spencer, I was like, he gets it and gets it so much more than like the traditional brand manager. What are your thoughts on hearing him? I have the pleasure of working with Spencer a lot, and he's a brilliant guy, and I loved hearing his insights on Anheuser-Busch's Web3 journey. They were one of like the first brands really active in the space, and they've maintained a really strong level of commitment, actually even building out a Web3 team internally to help bring all these projects to life and manage them across all the different stakeholders that need to be aware of it. So it was incredible to hear his perspective on how the journey is going and a little bit about what they're going to be cooking up for next year. The big takeaway for me is really the idea that in Web3, brands last forever. And if you think about that on your strategy going in, taking that approach compared to the way a lot of other brands have come into the space where they kind of do a thing and then they run away, they don't recognize that that thing's going to be out there forever and someone at some point is going to do that profile on how terrible this drop was. Whereas I think Spencer is taking such a long view approach. And the other thing that we're hearing from him, which was just super inspiring for me, is you know, over the years, I'm sure you and I have both come into, you're talking to one division at a brand and you know that that division doesn't really talk to the other division, which doesn't talk to the other division. And so the project is done in a silo. Whereas it seems like they've been able at AB to really weave in the ethos of what they're trying to do in Web3 across multiple properties, multiple brands, and like think about it just as another layer of loyalty and membership that I haven't seen done as well with any other brand than I see them doing. You know, my key takeaway is the million little things that they're doing that go beyond just like the one or two PR moments that somebody might read about in ad age or in trade press. There are so many like these like little moves that are leading up to these sort of big swells. 
and ultimately the commitment that they have to building a community and what Spencer was sharing around, you know, how this is different for a beer brand than it might be for a, you know, GDC retailer, because they don't traditionally have that direct relationship with consumers and leveraging Web3 as an infrastructure layer to create deeper consumer connections, I think is so incredibly interesting. And I think it's something that we're going to see a lot of CPG brands you know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in the coming months and years, understand this as well. Like this is a way to better understand your consumers, have deeper connections with them and, you know, develop something that's far more than just a digital collectible or a piece of art, but really like a meaningful insights engine. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, let's wrap the show up. Thank you, Avery, as always, for being such a great partner in this. I am in Vegas here for CES. I'm going to go hit the tables and see what else is happening out actually on the show floor, which I'm pretty excited about, and see if I can stack. These chips are not actual tokens in the crypto ecosystem, as far as I know, (laughs) but we'll see what we can do. But until then, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. So we'd love to hear from you and make sure you share with us how much you're loving Gen C. Yeah, thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great day or night wherever you are in the world. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.